Section 8 of The Magic Skin by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8 He is writing a poem, exclaimed the old professor. You think he is writing a poem, sir? It's a very absorbing affair, then. But, you know, I don't think he is. He often tells me that he wants to live like a vegetation. He wants to vegetate. Only yesterday he was looking at a tulip while he was dressing, and he said to me, There is my own life. I am vegetating, my poor Jonathan. Now, some of them insist that this is monomania. It is inconciliable. All this makes it very clear to me, Jonathan, the professor answered, with a magisterial solemnity that greatly impressed the old servant, that your master is absorbed in a great work. He is deep in vast meditations, and has no wish to be distracted by the petty preoccupations of ordinary life. A man of genius forgets everything about his intellectual labors. One day the famous Newton—Newton? Newton? Oh, ah, I don't know that name, said Jonathan. Newton, a great geometrician, Poriquet went on, once sat for twenty-four hours leaning his elbow on the table. When he emerged from his musings, he was a day out in his reckoning, just as if he had been sleeping. I will go to see him, dear lad. I may perhaps be of some use to him. Not for a moment, Jonathan cried, not though you were king of France, I mean the real old one. You could not go in unless you forced the doors open and walked over my body but i will go and tell him you are here monsieur poriquet and i will put it to him like this ought he to come up and he will say yes or no i never say do you wish or will you or do you want those words are scratched out of the dictionary he let out at me once with a do you want to kill me he was so very angry Jonathan left the old schoolmaster in the vestibule, signing to him to come no further, and soon returned with a favourable answer. He led the old gentleman through one magnificent room after another, where every door stood open. At last Poriquet beheld his pupil at some distance, seated beside the fire. Raphael was reading the paper. He sat in an armchair, wrapped in a dressing-gown, with some large pattern on it. The intense melancholy that preyed upon him could be discerned in his languid posture and feeble frame. It was depicted on his brow and white face. He looked like some plant bleached by darkness. There was a kind of effeminate grace about him. The fancies peculiar to wealthy invalids were also noticeable. His hands were soft and white, like a pretty woman's. He wore his fair hair, now grown scanty, curled about his temples with a refinement of vanity. The Greek cap that he wore was pulled to one side by the weight of its tassel, too heavy for the light material of which it was made. He had let the paper-knife fall at his feet, a malachite blade with gold mounting, which he had used to cut the leaves of the book. The amber mouthpiece of a magnificent Indian hookah lay on his knee. The enameled coils lay like a serpent in the room, but he had forgotten to draw out its fresh perfume. And yet there was a complete contradiction between the general feebleness of this young frame and the blue eyes, 
where all his vitality seemed to dwell an extraordinary intelligence seemed to look out from them and to grasp everything at once that expression was painful to see some would have read despair in it and others some inner conflict terrible as remorse it was the inscrutable glance of helplessness that must perforce consign its desires to the depths of its own heart or of a miser enjoying in imagination all the pleasures that his money could procure for him while he declines to lessen his hoard the look of a bound prometheus of the fallen napoleon of eighteen fifteen when he learned at the elysee the strategical blunder that his enemies had made and asked for twenty-four hours of command in vain or rather it was the same look that raphael had turned upon the seine or upon his last piece of gold at the gaming-table only a few months ago he was submitting his intelligence and his will to the homely common sense of an old peasant whom fifty years of domestic service had scarcely civilized he had given up all the rights of life in order to live he had despoiled his soul of all the romance that lies in a wish and almost rejoiced at thus becoming a sort of automaton the better to struggle with the cruel power he had challenged he had followed origin's example and had maimed and chastened his imagination the day after he had seen the diminution of the magic skin at his sudden accession of wealth he happened to be at his notary's house a well-known physician had told them quite seriously at dessert how a swiss attacked by consumption had cured himself the man had never spoken a word for ten years and had compelled himself to draw six breaths only every minute in the close atmosphere of a cow-house adhering all the time to a regimen of exceedingly light diet i will be like that man thought raphael to himself he wanted life at any price and so he led the life of a machine in the midst of all the luxury around him the old professor confronted this youthful corpse and shuddered there seemed something unnatural about the meagre enfeebled frame in the marquis with his eager eyes and careworn forehead he could hardly recognize the fresh-cheeked and rosy people with the active limbs whom he remembered if the worthy classicist sage critic and general preserver of the traditions of correct taste had read byron he would have thought that he had come on a manfred when he looked to find chilled harold good day pere poriquet said raphael pressing the old schoolmaster's frozen fingers in his own damp ones how are you i am very well replied the other alarmed by the touch of that feverish hand but how are you oh i am hoping to keep myself in health you are engaged in some great work no doubt no raphael answered exigi monumentum per poriquet i have contributed an important page to science and have now bidden her farewell for ever i scarcely know where my manuscript is the style is no doubt correct queried the schoolmaster you i hope 
would never have adopted the barbarous language of the new school which fancies it has worked such wonders by discovering ronsard my work treats of physiology pure and simple oh then there is no more to be said the schoolmaster answered grammar must yield to the exigencies of discovery nevertheless young man a lucid and harmonious style the diction of massillon of monsieur de buffon of the great racine a classical style in short can never spoil anything but my friend the schoolmaster interrupted himself i am forgetting the object of my visit which concerns my own interests too late raphael recalled to mind the verbose eloquence and elegant circumlocutions which in a long professorial career had grown habitual to his old tutor and almost regretted that he had admitted him but just as he was about to wish to see him safely outside he promptly suppressed his secret desire with a stealthy glance at the magic skin it hung there before him fastened down upon some white material surrounded by a red line accurately traced about its prophetic outlines since that fatal carouse raphael had stifled every last whim and had lived so as not to cause the slightest movement in the terrible talisman the magic skin was like a tiger with which he must live without exciting its ferocity he bore patiently therefore with the old schoolmaster's prolixity porriquet spent an hour in telling him about the persecutions directed against him ever since the revolution of july the worthy man having a liking for strong governments had expressed the patriotic wish that grocers should be left to their counters statesmen to the management of public business advocates to the palais de justice and peers of france to the luxembourg but one of the popularity-seeking ministers of the citizen king had ousted him from his chair on an accusation of carlism and the old man now found himself without pension or post and with no bread to eat as he played the part of guardian angel to a poor nephew for whose schooling at saint sulpice he was paying he came less on his own account than for his adopted child's sake to entreat his formal pupil's interest with the new minister he did not ask to be reinstated but only for a position at the head of some provincial school raphael had fallen a victim to unconquerable drowsiness by the time that the worthy man's monotonous voice ceased to sound in his ears civility had compelled him to look at the pale and unmoving eyes of the deliberate and tedious old narrator till he himself had reached stupefaction magnetized in an inexplicable way by the power of inertia well my dear pere porriquet he said not very certain what the question was to which he was replying but i can do nothing for you nothing at all i wish very heartily that you may succeed all at once without seeing the change wrought on the old man's sallow and wrinkled brow by these conventional phrases full of indifference and selfishness raphael sprang to his feet like a startled roebuck 
he saw a thin white line between the black piece of hide and the red tracing about it and gave a cry so fearful that the poor professor was frightened by it old fool go he cried you will be appointed as headmaster couldn't you have asked me for an annuity of a thousand crowns rather than a murderous wish your visit would have cost me nothing there are a hundred thousand situations to be had in france but i have only one life a man's life is worth more than all the situations in the world jonathan jonathan appeared this is your doing double distilled idiot what made you suggest that i should see monsieur Porriquet? and he pointed to the old man who was petrified with fright did i put myself in your hands for you to tear me in pieces you have just shortened my life by ten years another blunder of this kind and you will lay me where i have laid my father would i not far rather have possessed the beautiful Theodora? and i have obliged that old hulk instead that rag of humanity i had money enough for him and moreover if all the porriquets in the world were dying of hunger what is that to me raphael's face was white with anger a slight froth marked his trembling lips there was a savage gleam in his eyes the two elders shook with terror in his presence like two children at the sight of a snake the young man fell back in his armchair a kind of reaction took place in him the tears flowed fast from his angry eyes oh my life he cried that fair life of mine never to know a kindly thought again to love no more nothing is left to me he turned to the professor and went on in a gentle voice the harm is done my old friend your services have been well repaid and my misfortune has at any rate contributed to the welfare of a good and worthy man his tones betrayed so much feeling that the almost unintelligible words drew tears from the two old men such tears as are shed over some pathetic song in a foreign tongue he is epileptic muttered porriquet i understand your kind intentions my friend raphael answered gently you would make excuses for me ill-health cannot be helped but ingratitude is a grievous fault leave me now he added to-morrow or the next day or possibly to-night you will receive your appointment resistance has triumphed over motion farewell the old schoolmaster went away full of keen apprehension as to valentin's sanity a thrill of horror ran through him there had been something supernatural he thought in the scene he had passed through he could hardly believe his own impressions and questioned them like one awakened from a painful dream now attend to me jonathan said the young man to his old servant try to understand the charge confided to you yes my lord marquis i am a man outlawed by humanity yes my lord marquis all the pleasures of life disport themselves round my bed of death and dance about me like fair women but if i beckon to them i must die death always confronts me you must be the barrier between the world and me yes my lord marquis 
said the old servant wiping the drops of perspiration from his wrinkled forehead but if you don't wish to see pretty women how will you manage at the italians this evening an english family is returning to london and i have taken their box for the rest of the season and it is in a splendid position superb in the first row raphael deep in his own musings paid no attention to him do you see that splendid equipage a brougham painted a dark brown colour but with the arms of an ancient and noble family shining from the panels as it rolls past all the shop-girls admire it and look longingly at the yellow satin lining the rugs from la savonnerie the daintiness and freshness of every detail the silken cushions and tightly fitting glass windows two liveried footmen are mounted behind this aristocratic carriage and within a head lies back among silken cushions the feverish face and hollow eyes of raphael melancholy and sad emblem of the doom of wealth he flies across paris like a rocket and reaches the peristyle of the theatre favart the passers-by make way for him the two footmen help him to alight an envious crowd looking on the while what has that fellow done to be so rich asks a poor law student who cannot listen to the magical music of rossini for lack of a five-franc piece raphael walked slowly along the gangway he expected no enjoyment from these pleasures he had once coveted so eagerly in the interval before the second act of semiramide he walked up and down in the lobby and along the corridors leaving his box which he had not yet entered to look after itself the instinct of property was dead within him already like all invalids he thought of nothing but his own sufferings he was leaning against the chimney-piece in the green room a group had gathered about it of dandies young and old of ministers of peers without peerages and peerages without peers for so the revolution of july had ordered matters among a host of adventurers and journalists in fact raphael beheld a strange unearthly figure a few paces away among the crowd he went towards this grotesque object to see it better half closing his eyes with exceeding superciliousness what a wonderful bit of painting he said to himself the stranger's hair and eyebrows and a mazarin tuft on the chin had been dyed black but the result was a spurious glossy purple tint that varied its hues according to the light the hair had been too white no doubt to take the preparation anxiety and cunning were depicted in the narrow insignificant face with its wrinkles encrusted by thick layers of red and white paint this red enamel lacking on some portions of his face strongly brought out his natural feebleness and livid hues it was impossible not to smile at this visage with the protuberant forehead and pointed chin a face not unlike those grotesque wooden figures that german herdsmen carve in their spare moments an attentive observer looking from raphael to this elderly adonis would have remarked a young man's eyes set in a mask of age in the age of the marquis 
and in the other case the dim eyes of age peering forth from behind a mask of youth valentin tried to recollect when and where he had seen this little old man before he was thin fastidiously cravatted booted and spurred like one and twenty he crossed his arms and clinked his spurs as if he possessed all the wanton energy of youth he seemed to move about without constraint or difficulty he had carefully buttoned up his fashionable coat which disguised his powerful elderly frame and gave him the appearance of an antiquated coxcomb who still follows the fashions for raphael this animated puppet possessed all the interest of an apparition he gazed at it as if it had been some smoke-begrimed rembrandt recently restored and newly framed this idea found him a clue to the truth among his confused recollections he recognized the dealer in antiquities the man to whom he owed his calamities a noiseless laugh broke just then from the fantastical personage straightening the line of his lips that stretched across a row of artificial teeth that laugh brought out for raphael's heated fancy a strong resemblance between the man before him and the type of head that painters have assigned to goethe's mephistopheles a crowd of superstitious thoughts entered raphael's sceptical mind he was convinced of the powers of the devil and of all the sorcerer's enchantments embodied in medieval tradition and since worked up by poets shrinking in horror from the destiny of faust he prayed for the protection of heaven with all the ardent faith of a dying man in god and the virgin a clear bright radiance seemed to give him a glimpse of the heaven of michelangelo or of raphael of urbino a venerable white-bearded man a beautiful woman seated in an aureole above the clouds and winged cherub heads now he had grasped and received the meaning of those imaginative almost human creations they seemed to explain what had happened to him to leave him yet one hope but when the green room of the italians returned upon his sight he beheld not the virgin but a very handsome young person the execrable euphrasia in all the splendour of her toilette with its orient pearls had come thither impatient for her ardent elderly admirer she was insolently exhibiting herself with her defiant face and glittering eyes to an envious crowd of stockbrokers a visible testimony to the inexhaustible wealth that the old dealer permitted her to squander raphael recollected the mocking wish with which he had accepted the old man's luckless gift and tasted all the sweets of revenge when he beheld the spectacle of sublime wisdom fallen to such a depth as this wisdom for which such humiliation had seemed a thing impossible the centenarian greeted euphrasia with a ghastly smile receiving her honeyed words in reply he offered her his emaciated arm and went twice or thrice round the green room with her the envious glances and compliments with which the crowd received his mistress delighted him 
he did not see the scornful smiles nor hear the caustic comments to which he gave rise in what cemetery did this young ghoul unearth that corpse of hers asked the dandy of the romantic faction euphrasia began to smile the speaker was a slender fair-haired youth with bright blue eyes and a moustache his short dress-coat hat tilted over one ear and sharp tongue all denoted the species how many old men said raphael to himself bring an upright virtuous and hard-working life to a close in folly his feet are cold already and he is making love well sir exclaimed valentin stopping the merchant's progress while he stared hard at euphrasia have you quite forgotten the stringent maxims of your philosophy ah i am as happy now as a young man said the other in a cracked voice i used to look at existence from a wrong standpoint one hour of love has a whole life in it the playgoers heard the bell ring and left the green room to take their places again raphael and the old merchant separated as he entered his box the marquis saw feodora sitting exactly opposite to him on the other side of the theatre the countess had probably only just come for she was just flinging off her scarf to leave her throat uncovered and was occupied with going through all the indescribable manoeuvres of a coquette arranging herself all eyes were turned upon her a young peer of france had come with her she asked him for the lorgnette she had given him to carry raphael knew the despotism to which his successor had resigned himself in her gestures and in the way she treated her companion he was also under the spell no doubt under dupe beating with all the might of a real affection against the woman's cold calculations enduring all the tortures from which valentin had luckily freed himself feodora's face lighted up with indescribable joy after directing her lorgnette upon every box in turn to make a rapid survey of all the dresses she was conscious that by her toilette and her beauty she had eclipsed the loveliest and best-dressed women in paris she laughed to show her white teeth her head with its wreath of flowers was never still in her quest of admiration her glances went from one box to another as she diverted herself with the awkward way in which a russian princess wore her bonnet or over the utter failure of a bonnet with which a banker's daughter had disfigured herself all at once she met raphael's steady gaze and turned pale aghast at the intolerable contempt in her rejected lover's eyes not one of her exiled suitors had failed to own her power over them valentin alone was proof against her attractions a power that can be defied with impunity is drawing to its end this axiom is as deeply engraved on the heart of woman as in the minds of kings in raphael therefore feodora saw the death-blow of her influence and her ability to please an epigram of this made at the opera the day before was already known in the salons in paris the biting edge of that terrible speech had already given the countess an incurable wound 
we know how to cauterize a wound but we know of no treatment as yet for the stab of a phrase as every other woman in the house looked by turns at her and at the marquis feodora would have consigned them all to the oubliettes of some bastille for in spite of her capacity for dissimulation her discomfiture was discovered by her rivals her unfailing consolation had slipped from her at last the delicious thought i am the most beautiful the thought that at all times had soothed every mortification had turned into a lie at the opening of the second act a woman took up her position not very far from raphael in a box that had been empty hitherto a murmur of admiration went up from the whole house in that sea of human faces there was a movement of every living wave all eyes were turned upon the stranger lady the applause of young and old was so prolonged that when the orchestra began the musicians turned to the audience to request silence and then they themselves joined in in the plaudits and swelled the confusion excited talk began in every box every woman equipped herself with an opera glass elderly men grew young again and polished the glasses of their lorgnettes with their gloves the enthusiasm subsided by degrees the stage echoed with the voices of the singers and order reigned as before the aristocratic section ashamed of having yielded to a spontaneous feeling again assumed their wonted politely frigid manner the well-to-do dislike to be astonished at anything at the first sight of a beautiful thing it becomes their duty to discover the defect in it which absolves them from admiring it the feeling of all ordinary minds yet a few still remained motionless and heedless of the music artlessly absorbed in the delight of watching raphael's neighbor valentin noticed talefe's mean obnoxious countenance by aquilina's side in a lower box and received an approving smirk from him then he saw emile who seemed to say from where he stood in the orchestra just look at that lovely creature there close beside you lastly he saw rastignac with madame de nucingen and her daughter twisting his gloves like a man in despair because he was tethered to his place and could not leave it to go any nearer to the unknown fair divinity raphael's life depended upon a covenant that he had made with himself and had hitherto kept sacred he would give no special heed to any woman whatever and the better to guard against temptation he used a cunningly contrived opera-glass which destroyed the harmony of the fairest features by hideous distortions he had not recovered from the terror that had seized on him in the morning when at a mere expression of civility the magic skin had contracted so abruptly so raphael was determined not to turn his face in the direction of his neighbor he sat imperturbable as a duchess with his back against the corner of the box thereby shutting out half of his neighbor's view of the stage appearing to disregard her and even to be unaware that a pretty woman sat there just behind him his neighbor copied valentin's position exactly 
she leaned her elbow on the edge of her box and turned her face in three-quarter profile upon the singers on the stage as if she were sitting to a painter these two people looked like two estranged lovers still sulking still turning their backs upon each other who will go into each other's arms at the first tender word now and again his neighbor's ostrich feathers or her hair came in contact with raphael's head giving him a pleasurable thrill against which he sternly fought in a little while he felt the touch of the soft frill of lace that went round her dress he could hear the gracious sounds of the folds of her dress itself light rustling noises full of enchantment he could even feel her movements as she breathed with the gentle stirs thus imparted to her form and to her draperies it seemed to raphael that all her being was suddenly communicated to him in an electric spark the lace and tulle that caressed him imparted the delicious warmth of her bare white shoulders by a freak in the ordering of things these two creatures kept apart by social conventions with the abysses of death between them breathed together and perhaps thought of one another finally the subtle perfume of aloes completed the work of raphael's intoxication opposition heated his imagination and his fancy become the wilder for the limits imposed upon it sketched a woman for him in outlines of fire he turned abruptly the stranger made a similar movement startled no doubt at being brought in contact with a stranger and they remained face to face each with the same thought pauline monsieur raphael each surveyed the other both of them petrified with astonishment raphael noticed pauline's daintily simple costume a woman's experienced eyes would have discerned and admired the outlines beneath the modest gauze folds of her bodice and the lily whiteness of her throat and then her more than mortal clearness of soul her maidenly modesty her graceful bearing all were unchanged her sleeve was quivering with agitation for the beating of her heart was shaking her whole frame come to the hotel de saint quentin to-morrow for your papers she said i will be there at noon be punctual she rose hastily and disappeared raphael thought of following pauline feared to compromise her and stayed he looked at feodora she seemed to him positively ugly unable to understand a single phrase of the music and feeling stifled in the theatre he went out and returned home with a full heart jonathan he said to the old servant as soon as he lay in bed give me half a drop of laudanum on a piece of sugar and don't wake me to-morrow till twenty minutes to twelve i want pauline to love me he cried next morning looking at the talisman the while in unspeakable anguish the skin did not move in the least it seemed to have lost its power to shrink doubtless it could not fulfil a wish fulfilled already ah exclaimed raphael feeling as if a mantle of lead had fallen away which he had worn ever since the day when the talisman had been given to him so you are playing me false you are not obeying me 
the pact is broken i am free i shall live then was it all a wretched joke but he did not dare to believe in his own thought as he uttered it he dressed himself as simply as had formerly been his wont and set out on foot for his old lodging trying to go back in fancy to the happy days when he abandoned himself without peril to vehement desires the days when he had not yet condemned all human enjoyment as he walked he beheld pauline not the pauline of the hotel saquitaire but the pauline of last evening here was the accomplished mistress he had so often dreamed of the intelligent young girl with the loving nature and artistic temperament who understood poets who understood poetry and lived in luxurious surroundings here in short was feodora gifted with a great soul or pauline become a countess and twice a millionaire as fedora had been when he reached the worn threshold and stood upon the broken step at the door where in the old days he had had so many desperate thoughts an old woman came out of the house within and spoke to him you are monsieur raphael de valentin are you not yes good mother he replied you know your old room then she replied you are expected up there does madame gaudin still own the house raphael asked oh no sir madame gaudin is a baroness now she lives in a fine house of her own on the other side of the river her husband has come back my goodness he brought back thousands and thousands they say she could buy up all the quartier saint jacques if she liked she gave me her basement room for nothing and the remainder of her lease ah she's a kind woman all the same she is no more proud to-day than she was yesterday raphael hurried up the staircase to his garret as he reached the last few steps he heard the sounds of a piano pauline was there simply dressed in a cotton gown but the way that it was made like the gloves hat and shawl that she had thrown carelessly upon the bed revealed a change of fortune ah there you are cried pauline turning her head and rising with unconcealed delight raphael went to sit beside her flushed confused and happy he looked at her in silence why did you leave us then she asked dropping her eyes as the flush deepened on her face what became of you ah i have been very miserable pauline i am very miserable still alas she said filled with pitying tenderness i guessed your fate yesterday when i saw you so well dressed and apparently so wealthy but in reality eh monsieur raphael is it as it always used to be with you valentin could not restrain the tears that sprang to his eyes pauline he exclaimed i he went no further love sparkled in his eyes and his emotion overflowed his face oh he loves me he loves me cried pauline raphael felt himself unable to say one word he bent his head the young girl took his hand at this she pressed it as she said half sobbing and half laughing rich rich happy and rich your pauline is rich but i oh i ought to be very poor to-day i have said 
times without number that i would give all the wealth upon this earth for those words he loves me oh my raphael i have millions you like luxury you will be glad but you must love me and my heart besides for there is so much love for you in my heart you don't know my father has come back i am a wealthy heiress both he and my mother leave me completely free to decide my own fate i am free do you understand seized with a kind of frenzy raphael grasped pauline's hands and kissed them eagerly and vehemently with an almost convulsive caress pauline drew her hands away laid them on raphael's shoulders and drew him towards her they understood one another in that close embrace in the alloyed and sacred fervour of that one kiss without an afterthought the first kiss by which two souls take possession of each other ah i will not leave you any more said pauline falling back in her chair i do not know how i come to be so bold she added blushing bold my pauline do not fear it it is love love true and deep and everlasting like my own is it not speak she cried go on speaking so long your lips have been dumb for me then you have loved me all along loved you mon dieu how often i have wept here setting your room straight and grieving for your poverty and my own i would have sold myself to the evil one to spare you one vexation you are my raphael to-day really my own raphael with that handsome head of yours and your heart is mine too yes that above all your heart oh wealth inexhaustible well where was i she went on after a pause oh yes we have three four or five millions i believe if i were poor i should perhaps desire to bear your name to be acknowledged as your wife but as it is i would give up the whole world for you i would be your servant still now and always why raphael if i give you my fortune my heart myself to-day i do no more than i did that day when i put a certain five-franc piece in the drawer there and she pointed to the table oh how your exultation hurt me then oh why are you rich raphael cried why is there no vanity in you i can do nothing for you he wrung his hands in despair and happiness and love when you are the marquise de valentin i know that the title and the fortune for thee heavenly soul will not be worth one hair of your head she cried i have millions too but what is wealth to either of us now there is my life ah that i can offer take it your love raphael your love is all the world to me are your thoughts of me i am the happiest of the happy can any one overhear us asked raphael nobody she replied and a mischievous gesture escaped her come then cried valentin holding out his arms she sprang upon his knees and clasped her arms about his neck kiss me she cried after all the pain you have given me to blot out the memory of the grief that your joys have caused me and for the sake of the nights that i spent in painting hand screens those hand screens of yours now that we are rich my darling i can tell you all about it poor boy how easy it is to delude a clever man 
could you have had white waistcoats and clean shirts twice a week for three francs every month to the laundress why you used to drink twice as much milk as your money would have paid for i deceived you all round over firing oil and even money oh raphael mine don't have me for your wife i am far too cunning she said laughing but how did you manage i used to work till two o'clock in the morning i gave my mother half the money made by my screens and the other half went to you they looked at one another for a moment both bewildered by love and gladness some day we shall have to pay for this happiness by some terrible sorrow cried raphael perhaps you are married said pauline oh i will not give you up to any other woman i am free my beloved free she repeated free and mine she slipped down upon her knees clasped her hands and looked at raphael in an enthusiasm of devotion i am afraid i shall go mad how handsome you are she went on passing her fingers through her lover's fair hair how stupid your comtesse fyodora is how pleased i was yesterday with the homage they all paid to me she has never been applauded dear when i felt your arm against my back i heard a vague voice within me that cried he is there and i turned round and saw you i fled for i longed to throw my arms about you before them all how happy you are you can speak raphael exclaimed my heart is overwhelmed i would weep but i cannot do not draw your hand away i could stay here looking at you like this for the rest of my life i think happy and content oh my love say that once more ah what are words answered valentin letting a hot tear fall on pauline's hands some time i will try to tell you of my love just now i can only feel it you she said with your lofty soul and your great genius with that heart of yours that i know so well are you really mine as i am yours forever and ever my sweet creature said raphael in an uncertain voice you shall be my wife my protecting angel my griefs have always been dispelled by your presence and my courage revived that angelic smile now on your lips has purified me so to speak a new life seems about to begin for me the cruel past and my wretched follies are hardly more to me than evil dreams at your side i breathe an atmosphere of happiness and i am pure be with me always he added pressing her solemnly to his beating heart death may come when it will said pauline in ecstasy i have lived happy he who shall divine their joy for he must have experienced it i wish that no one might enter this dear garret again my raphael said pauline after two hours of silence we must have the door walled up put bars across the window and by the house the marquis answered yes we will she said then a moment later she added our search for your manuscripts has been a little lost sight of and they both laughed like children pshaw i don't care a jot for the whole circle of the sciences raphael answered ah sir and how about glory a glory in you alone you used to be very miserable as you made these little scratches and scrawls she said turning the papers over 
my pauline oh yes i am your pauline and what then where are you living now in the rue saint lazare and you in the rue de varin what a long way apart we shall be until she stopped and looked at her lover with a mischievous and coquettish expression but at the most we need only to be separated for a fortnight raphael answered really we are to be married in a fortnight and she jumped for joy like a child i am an unnatural daughter she went on i give no more thought to my father or my mother or to anything in the world poor love you don't know that my father is very ill he returned from the indies in very bad health he nearly died at havre where we went to find him good heavens she cried looking at her watch it is three o'clock already i ought to be back again when he wakes at four i am mistress of the house at home my mother does everything that i wish and my father worships me but i will not abuse their kindness that would be wrong my poor father he would have me go to the italiens yesterday you will come to see him to-morrow will you not will madame la marquise de valentin honour me by taking my arm i am going to take the key of this room away with me she said isn't our treasure-house a palace one more kiss pauline a thousand mon dieu she said looking at raphael will it always be like this i feel as if i were dreaming they went slowly down the stairs together step by step with arms closely linked trembling both of them beneath their load of joy each pressing close to the other's side like a pair of doves they reached the place de la sorbonne where pauline's carriage was waiting i want to go home with you she said i want to see your own room and your study and to sit at the table where you work it will be like old times she said blushing she spoke to the servant joseph before returning home i am going to the rue de varin it is a quarter past three now and i must be back by four o'clock george must hurry the horses and so in a few moments the lovers came to valentin's abode how glad i am to have seen all this for myself pauline cried creasing the silken bed curtains in raphael's room between her fingers as i go to sleep i shall be here in thought i shall imagine your dear head on the pillow there raphael tell me did no one advise you about the furniture of your hotel no one whatever really it was not a woman who pauline oh i know i am fearfully jealous you have good taste i will have a bed like yours to-morrow quite beside himself with happiness raphael caught pauline in his arms oh my father she said my father i will take you back to him cried valentin for i want to be away from you as little as possible how loving you are i did not venture to suggest it are you not my life it would be tedious to set down accurately the charming prattle of the lovers for tones and looks and gestures that cannot be rendered alone give it significance valentin went back with pauline to her own door and returned with as much happiness in his heart as mortal man can know when he was seated in his armchair beside the fire thinking over the sudden and complete way in which his wishes had been fulfilled a cold shiver went through him as if the blade of a dagger had been plunged into his breast 
he thought of the magic skin and saw that it had shrunk a little he uttered the most tremendous of french oaths without any of the jesuitical reservations made by the abbess of andouillettes leant his head against the back of the chair and sat motionless fixing his unseeing eyes upon the bracket of the curtain pole good god he cried every wish every desire of mine poor pauline he took a pair of compasses and measured the extent of existence that the morning had cost him i have scarcely enough for two months he said a cold sweat broke out over him moved by an ungovernable spasm of rage he seized the magic skin exclaiming i am a perfect fool he rushed out of the house and across the garden and flung the talisman down a well vogue la galere cried he the devil take all this nonsense so raphael gave himself up to the happiness of being beloved and led with pauline the life of heart and heart difficulties which it would be somewhat tedious to describe that delayed their marriage which was to take place early in march each was sure of the other their affection had been tried and happiness had taught them how strong it was never has love made two souls two natures so absolutely one the more they came to know each other the more they loved on either side there was the same hesitating delicacy the same transports of joy such as angels know there were no clouds in their heaven the will of either was the other's law wealthy as they both were they had not a caprice which they could not gratify and for that reason had no caprices a refined taste a feeling for beauty and poetry was instinct in the soul of the bride her lover's smile was more to her than all the pearls of ormuz she disdained feminine finery a muslin dress and flowers formed her most elaborate toilette pauline and raphael shunned every one else for solitude was abundantly beautiful to them the idlers at the opera or at the italiens saw this charming and unconventional pair evening after evening some gossip went the round of the salons at first but the harmless lovers were soon forgotten in the course of events which took place in paris their marriage was announced at length to excuse them in the eyes of the prudish and as it happened their servants did not babble so their bliss did not draw down upon them any very severe punishment one morning towards the end of february at the time when the brightening days bring a belief in the nearness of the joys of spring pauline and raphael were breakfasting together in a small conservatory a kind of drawing-room filled with flowers on a level with the garden the mild rays of the pale winter sunlight breaking through the thicket of exotic plants warmed the air somewhat the vivid contrast made by the varieties of foliage the colors of the masses of flowering shrubs the freaks of light and shadow gladdened the eyes while all the rest of paris still sought warmth from its melancholy hearth these two were laughing in a bower of camellias lilacs and blossoming heath their happy faces rose above lilies of the valley narcissus blooms and bangle roses 
a mat of plaited african grass variegated like a carpet lay beneath their feet in this luxurious conservatory the walls covered with a green linen material bore no traces of damp the surfaces of the rustic wooden furniture shone with cleanliness a kitten attracted by the odour of milk had established itself upon the table it allowed pauline to bedabble it in coffee she was playing merrily with it taking away the cream that she had just allowed the kitten to sniff at so as to exercise its patience and keep up the contest she burst out laughing at every antic and by the comical remark she constantly made she hindered raphael from perusing the paper he had dropped it a dozen times already this morning picture seemed to overflow with inexpressible gladness like everything that is natural and genuine raphael still pretending to read his paper furtively watched pauline with the cat his pauline in the dressing-gown that hung carelessly about her his pauline with her hair loose on her shoulders with a tiny white blue-veined foot peeping out of a velvet slipper it was pleasant to see her in this negligent dress she was delightful as some fanciful picture by westall half girl half woman as she seemed to be or perhaps more of a girl than a woman there was no alloy in the happiness she enjoyed and of love she knew as yet only its first ecstasy when raphael absorbed in happy musing had forgotten the existence of the newspaper pauline flew upon it crumpled it up into a ball and threw it out into the garden the kitten sprang after the rotating object which spun round and round as politics are wont to do this childish scene recalled raphael to himself he would have gone on reading and felt for the sheet he no longer possessed joyous laughter rang out like the song of a bird one peal leading to another i am quite jealous of the paper she said as she wiped away the tears that her childlike merriment had brought into her eyes now is it not a heinous offence she went on as she became a woman all at once to read russian proclamations in my presence and to attend to the prosings of the emperor nicholas rather than to looks and words of love i am not reading my dear angel i was looking at you just then the gravel walk outside the conservatory rang with the sound of the gardener's heavily nailed boots i beg your pardon my lord marquis and yours too madame if i am intruding but i have brought you a curiosity the like of which i never set eyes on drawing a bucket of water just now with due respect i got out this strange salt-water plant here it is it must be thoroughly used to water anyhow for it isn't saturated or even damp at all it is as dry as a piece of wood and has not swelled a bit as my lord marquis certainly knows a great deal more about things than i do i thought i ought to bring it and that it would interest him therewith the gardener showed raphael the inexorable piece of skin there were barely six square inches of it left thanks vanier raphael said the thing is very curious what is the matter with you my angel you are growing quite white pauline cried you can go vanier 
your voice frightens me the girl went on it is so strangely altered what is it how are you feeling where is the pain you are in pain jonathan here call a doctor she cried hush my pauline raphael answered as he regained composure let us get up and go some flower here has a scent that is too much for me it is that verbena perhaps pauline flew upon the innocent plant seized it by the stalk and flung it out into the garden then with all the might of the love between them she clasped raphael in a close embrace and with languishing coquetry raised her red lips to him for a kiss dear angel she cried when i saw you turn so white i understood that i could not live on without you your life is my life too lay your hand on my back raphael mine i feel a chill like death the feeling of cold is there yet your lips are burning how is your hand cold as ice she added mad girl exclaimed raphael why that tear let me drink it oh pauline pauline you love me far too much there is something very extraordinary going on in your mind raphael do not dissimulate i shall very soon find out your secret give that to me she went on taking the magic skin you are my executioner the young man exclaimed glancing in horror at the talisman how strange your voice is cried pauline as she dropped the fatal symbol of destiny do you love me he asked do i love you is there any doubt then leave me go away the poor child went so cried raphael when he was alone in an enlightened age when we have found out that diamonds are a crystallized form of charcoal at a time when everything is made clear when the police would hail a new messiah before the magistrates and submit his miracles to the academie de sciences in an epoch when we no longer believe in anything but a notary's signature that i forsooth should believe in a sort of men tekel ou farcin no by heaven i will not believe that the supreme being would take pleasure in torturing a harmless creature let us see the learned about it between the hall de vin and its extensive assembly of barrels and the saltpetriere that extensive seminary of drunkenness lies a small pond which raphael soon reached all sorts of ducks of rare varieties were there disporting themselves their coloured markings shone in the sun like the glass in cathedral windows every kind of duck in the world was represented quacking dabbling and moving about a kind of parliament of ducks assembled against its will but luckily without either charter or political principles living in complete immunity from sportsmen under the eyes of any naturalist that chanced to see them this is monsieur lavril said one of the keepers to raphael who had asked for that high priest of zoology the marquis saw a short man buried in profound reflections caused by the appearance of a pair of ducks the man of science was middle-aged he had a pleasant face made pleasanter still by a kindly expression but an absorption in scientific ideas engrossed his whole person 
his peruke was strangely turned up by being constantly raised to scratch his head so that a line of white hair was left plainly visible a witness to an enthusiasm for investigation which like every other strong passion so withdraws us from mundane considerations that we lose all consciousness of the eye within us raphael the student and man of science looked respectfully at the naturalist who devoted his nights to enlarging the limits of human knowledge and whose very errors reflected glory upon france but a she coxcomb would have laughed no doubt at the break of continuity between the breeches and striped waistcoat worn by the man of learning the interval moreover was modestly filled by a shirt which had been considerably creased for he stooped and raised himself by turns as his zoological observations required End of section 8